This episode is brought to you by Awesome CX by Transcom. Awesome CX provides high-touch, personalized customer experience services to consumer brands of any size. Stay tuned for a special offer for Stairway to CEO listeners later in the show. Hello, everyone. It's Lee Green, and welcome back to the Stairway to CEO podcast. It's my mission to bring you real, honest, and unfiltered interviews with some of the most innovative founders and CEOs from all walks of life. We'll talk about their climb to the top, their stumbles along the way, and the steps they took to get them to where they are. So tune in to get inspired, listen to some real talk, and enjoy the show. Hello, everyone. I'm your host, Lee Green, and welcome back to the show. This is episode 182, and today I sat down with Ashley Thompson, the co-founder and CEO of Mush. Mush is pioneering a new category for the breakfast occasion with their line of ready-to-eat overnight oats made with whole-rolled oats, cold-soaked in almond, coconut, or oat milk, and sweetened with fruit to give you delicious natural energy at home or on the go. Ashley shares her story from growing up in New Jersey with dreams of becoming a brain surgeon to starting her first business in fourth grade selling stationery to studying math and economics at Columbia University to working as a trader at Goldman Sachs to bringing overnight oats to work where it grabbed the attention of her boss and colleagues. She talks with us about the influence her father has had on her becoming an entrepreneur why she decided to move to San Diego to sell oats at a farmer's market, how she expanded the brand from there, and what it was like appearing on Shark Tank. If you like what you're hearing on the Stairway to CEO podcast, don't forget to click subscribe, leave us an awesome review, and check us out on stairwaytoceo.com. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Hi, Ashley. Thanks so much for joining the show today. I'm excited to hear your story and building Mush. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much, Lee. I'm really excited to be here. Me too. I'm so excited to have you. I've been trying the Mush and it's really good, but I'm, I want to hear your story. Where are you from originally? What was childhood like? What was it like growing up? Yeah, absolutely. So I grew up about 50 minutes west of New York City in a suburb of New Jersey. And I'm one of five. So growing up, it was a pretty full and hectic household filled with a ton of learning about so many different things, how to get along, how to speak up, how to share and learned a lot from, especially my mom and dad, my father is an entrepreneur. So learned a lot about risk reward and sort of the American dream. I got to observe that growing up, which is a pretty special and unique experience. Yeah. What was his business? He has electrical engineering firm. So they design and install automated control systems for big commercial spaces like hospitals, airports, But he started the company when I was two. It took him about 10 years to really get going and such such a grind, I would say, and and started with, I think, a few thousand dollars in his pocket. So big, big journey for him. And my mom um, at the time was working part time, but also taking care of all the kids. She is one of the most selfless and she's such a kind human. So learned a lot from her as well. And there, then she joined forces with my dad as, you know, the company continued to grow and their success afforded me the opportunity to go to some really great schools. They place such an emphasis on education. That's one of the reasons why my dad started his business was because he didn't go to college. And at the time when, before starting his company, he was working in the corporate world at Honeywell and could see the ceiling for him because of the lack of education. So anyway, studied a lot growing up, was a really, really great student into sports, all of that. What kind of sports? We, so I, I spent a lot of time running. I was on track and field and then cross country. I really loved to run. I had a lot of energy. I was a pretty like outdoorsy kid, super adventurous, hung out with my older sister a lot. And I also spent a lot of time horseback riding. So Mm. that sort of served, it was multi-purpose for my parents, I think, 
it was a really great environment to learn a lot. Like I built physical and mental toughness, Mm -hmm. but then also it was sort of acted like daycare. They would just drop us off after school and (laughs) we would spend so many hours there. And then the whole weekend would just be, we would be at, at the barn games or the barn. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. We were, we would be at the barn. We would be horseback riding and Looking back, I always say like my first job was out of college, but actually it wasn't. It was at the barn because again, like we didn't come from a lot of means. So we had to work at the barn in exchange for lessons. Amazing. Yeah. And an incredible experience. Yeah. But yes, spent a lot of time there around horses. I love animals. I love how your memories of your dad as an entrepreneur are like how hard it was. (laughs) It was the hardest thing. Like I think about people are like, oh my gosh, it must've been so hard for you to quit your job and start this company. And I think like, yeah, but it's all relative. My dad quit his job when I was two. There were four kids at the time. They had a mortgage. They had no money, Mm -hmm. no money. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think my dad said the other day we were talking, I think he had like a few thousand dollars in his bank account. And that's really scary when you have kids. I mean, any amount of kids, it's terrifying to take take that kind of leap. Terrifying. Yeah. Terrifying. And he didn't have the support system I had. His parents had both passed at a really early age. Mm. Like I have my, my parents, my dad, like it's so different to me. It felt like it wasn't a big risk. So, but yeah, really hard hard, but rewarding journey to say the least. It's almost like, you know, how did he do that? Right? Like what was so motivating for him on the other side? He must've really believed in himself and what he wanted to build that it was like the only option. Yeah. He, he definitely is a strong willed man and he has vision. Like he, And he's just, he's such a learner. He's so wise. And I think he just wanted to do better, like better than where he came from and probably wanted to see what he was made of. I think like, you know, man's search for meaning in a way. And, and he did it. I mean, yeah, the the belief was definitely there. And over time, just success begets success and momentum and all that. Yeah. And what a great example to set for your kids too, to take that kind of risk to work so hard to build something and hopefully at the end there's some success, right? Cause even that, I mean, that's why I'm not guaranteed. (laughs) Yeah. 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 I don't, I don't think I really don't know that I would be an entrepreneur if my dad weren't one himself. It just built such an incredible mental mapping for me. And like, I could see like just through observation, like, okay, you take on all this risk but look at the reward you get. Like we went from having nothing to, I went to boarding school. I went to an Ivy league, like, and it was all paid for by my parents, like incredible privilege in that sense. And so to just see that unfold in a short amount of time, you know, 15 years by the time I was like, sort of could understand how things worked. Right. Yeah. It was a pretty unique experience. So did you always know that you wanted to be an entrepreneur? Like when you were a kid, did you kind of already know? I am. No, I didn't know exactly what I wanted to be, but I, the common like theme throughout all the things I've always wanted to do, there was always like an aiming high. Like I always aimed high. So like, you know, I started to learn about business because of my dad and we would talk all the time about his company. I would ask so, I was so curious. I would ask so many questions and, you know, we'd talk about cash is king, all these like small business concepts. And one day I was like, all right, he has a small business. Like I want to run a business like him, but I'm going to be the CEO of a fortune 500 company. So it was like always just these like outrageous (laughs) claims. I remember writing that in fourth grade and like my teacher was like, do you even know what a fortune 500 company is? You're probably like, no, but it sounds great. (laughs) But it sounds so big and cool and like powerful. (laughs) I wanted to be like a brain surgeon at one point. I wanted to be a screenwriter. Like I kind of like, remember sort of being like a little Renaissance woman. Like I I was so interested in so many things, an architect, but like the best architect, like Zaha Hadid or something. Right. So it was a a bunch of things, but I just always wanted to be the best. And I always wanted to make a mark, leave a mark in some way, shape or form. But I especially gravitated toward things that could help people or could make the world like a better place. And it's one of the reasons why I started Mush. Looking back on your childhood, 
Were there any examples of being a leader or an entrepreneur? I'm sure with sports and stuff, but even before that, like what's your first memory of being a leader or an entrepreneur? And it could just be, maybe you're not trying to sell something. It could be something that was like a creative problem solving scenario. And it just kind of was the maybe at first early sign of the fabric of who you are. Yeah, such a great question. I, I think of two examples. One of them's probably like a little tangential to this, but I think I do. I, I, I think I was a leader to my younger sister in a lot of ways. Like I sort of always set the vision for what we were going to do and she followed along and I was like very protective and sort of ser- like a servant to her in a way. And I, I try to carry some of that with me now leading a business. So I feel like there were some leadership moments with my younger sister growing up, especially mm-hmm. through like really hard, challenging times there, you know, we, we, as a family overcame a lot of adversity growing up. And I, I sort of like protected her and helped her helped lead the way for both of us. So that's something that I I'm just thought of one more like practical experience I had, I think it was in fifth grade. Gosh, I think her name was Mrs. Jordan. She was my homeroom classroom, home, yeah, homeroom teacher. And she was also my math teacher. And in math class, she told us that we had to start a little business. And one day she'll invite all the parents in to go around the room and buy things from us. So we had to Mm -hmm. like create a business and we had to sell some sort of physical good. I was obsessed with stationery as a kid. Like, going to Staples for back to school was my version of, I don't even know, it was like the most exciting thing for me. I was so organized. I love pens, paper, books, <laughs> all of it. Yeah. So I was like, oh, I'm, I'm going to start a stationery store. And so I brilliant, like, so brilliantly told my mom, okay, take me to Staples. I'm going to go buy some stationery supplies. And then I'm going to, that's what I'm going to sell. And of course, I like learned the really hard way. Like you can't buy things at extremely high retail costs, expecting to make a lot of money. And so I think I sold a few things to some of the parents, but I was definitely not the winner. And after I went through this experience, my dad sat me down and was like, look, here's how you can think about it. Like you, you want to make money, you have to buy low, sell high and like pretty basic stuff. And he was like, maybe next time we buy pencils, maybe you limit the number of items you sell, but you buy a lot of them at like a place like Costco where they're cheaper and then you'll be able to make more money per unit. And so like, that was the first time I was like, oh wow. Like I didn't get that right, but it was a, it was an awesome experience. And I knew like, I didn't get it right but I learned so much through the process. And that was a great experience for me to understand that like, oh, I can actually just learn this stuff. Like I can learn anything. So I didn't get it right the first time, but I can learn and I can keep going. And the next time I do it, I'm going to be better at it. Yeah. That was a pretty powerful experience for me. And real quick, one more thing on childhood. When you say adversity, you said that you helped your younger sister with that. What were some of the biggest challenges that you faced as a kid? Yeah, I think so one really concrete memory was when my older sister was diagnosed with type one diabetes. That was an incredibly challenging time for my family for a number of reasons. And, and it was especially challenging for my older sister. And it sort of took her down a path less traveled. And she had a really challenging time after her diagnosis, both mentally and physically. And there was a lot of tension in the house between her and my parents. And I like could make sense of it productively and sort of shield my sister from it. Mm. But it was a pretty tumultuous time. And thankfully, she's doing so much better now. That's great. But it was it was a long journey, to say the least. And that also opened my eyes to health and wellness and the connection between the physical and mental and and just how important it is to be physically healthy. Because if you're not, and she wasn't having been diagnosed with diabetes, the rest of your life can really unravel pretty quickly. Yeah. So yeah, just paid attention to my younger sister, gave her the love and care I think she needed because my parents were so focused on my older sister and her well-being. Mm. So that that's one example of many. <laughs> yeah. 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 Oh, that's tough, but I'm glad to hear that she's doing better. Yeah. And that you Thank were there you. for your sister, your younger sister. Yeah. 
I'm an older sister, so I have one young younger sister, just two of us, but I can relate a lot with being the older sibling. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's like, there's a sense of responsibility there, right? Like I've got to know the way and show the way. Yeah. At least that's really how I felt growing up. I really cared for her and, and for yeah. my other siblings too, but especially for some reason, my younger one. Definitely. Very like protective and yeah. kept an eye out and <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. I I was such a serious kid, but like my siblings are like you were and you were such a mother hen. Like you cared so much about us and our well-being. So I had this like seriousness and intensity about life, but I also yeah, really cared for everyone's well-being especially. Yeah. yeah. And so you studied at Columbia. Yeah. And so tell us about that experience and what your first couple jobs were after school. Yeah. So I studied at Columbia. I studied math and economics and going to college wasn't too tough of a transition having gone to a pretty rigorous high school. Mm -hmm. I went to high school or at high school, I went to school six days a week. So, and the course load was really heavy. Yeah. Six days a week. Oh, because it was a boarding school. Interesting. Wow. So you didn't have a Saturday basically. No, it was a half day, half day on Saturday, but still it was just like, it was a pretty, it was a pretty rigorous environment academically. Yeah. And then also extracurriculars too. Like everyone had to do an after school activity, et cetera. So anyway, wow. I get to college and it was not a really tough transition. Like I think I transitioned well and took a lot of credits from high school into college. So I finished in three years. I really wanted to like race out of college and start a job because I wanted to make money. I wanted to be really independent. I was sort of I almost had guilt that like my mom and dad didn't come from a lot. And then Mm. my dad takes on all this risk. Fortunately, he's super successful and starts paying for my life essentially. And I like knowing where he came from and then knowing how I was raised, I sort of almost felt like guilty. Mm -hmm. And I just was so like motivated to pave my own way and pay for my own life. And so, you know, studying math and econ in New York, what do you do? You go, you go into finance if you want to make money. It's the perfect sort of intersection of all those things. And so I get a job at Goldman as a trader. Wow. Not knowing, yeah, not knowing what I the only thing I knew I wanted to do was continued on a good trajectory, be in a competitive environment, learn a lot and make money. And so ended up there. And I really, I appreciated and still appreciate the experience. It was such an incredible opportunity. I worked with really bright people. I learned a lot about the markets and finance. I mean, you just learn so much on the job. And the biggest thing I learned is that I just was not passionate about it. Like I, it was like pulling teeth, trying to get me to like really pay attention and like invest a lot of my emotional energy into it. Like physically I was there, but like emotionally and mentally, like I was always daydreaming, daydreaming about something else. Like I was doing what I needed to do to stay. Like I kept, you know, I didn't get fired, but I was certainly spending my days daydreaming about like all these other things I could do. I wrote a screenplay while I was working there, like on the side, I was running a ton of half marathons to keep myself in shape and just like expend my energy in other ways, because it certainly wasn't about like obsessing over the market. So I had all this energy. I just wasn't really channeling it into that job. Right. Everyone else is reading the wall street journal and you're like writing a screenplay. (laughs) Literally, like people are like, they sign into like Bloomberg at like six in the morning. And I'm like, oh, I don't care about the euro dollar futures. Like, I just don't care. Like, I can't bring myself to care. And like, at first I was like, God, like, what's wrong with me? Like, I had that, I had that thought in my head. I'm like, what's wrong? Like, I should love this. This is an insane opportunity. People would kill for this. Mm. And then it was just like, it's just not me. Like, it's just not my preferences. It's not what I care about. And it was hard to accept, but I'm so glad I did because I got out. And a lot of people feel that same way, but they mm. stay in it for 20 yeah. years. And before they know it, like their life, their career is sort of set in stone and set in mm-hmm. place. And it's really hard to pivot with kids and family and yeah. other obligations. 
But I knew like at the two and a half year mark, I'm like, I got to make a move. Like I can't, I'm going to get my, my three-year bonus. I'll have saved a hundred thousand dollars and I'm, I don't care what I do, but I got to get out of here. And that's when I started to really think long and hard about what mattered to me. Like, what do I really enjoy? Mm -hmm. And it always came back to, I want to help people. I want to make a difference. I really care about health and wellness. I care about, you know, the connection between the physical and the mental. I love tangible goods. Like I love fashion. I love food, like things that consumer products that you can sell. And that's when the idea sort of dawned on me. So how did you come up with the idea for Mush? Where were you? What was the moment where you're like, this is where I think I want to do? Yeah. So I had come up with all these like crazy ideas. Again, I was into fashion, fitness, food. And first I came, I came up with a bunch of ideas. And this one day I, for whatever reason, one, I distinctly remember was a bathing suit company. And I grew up going to to California a lot, loved being outdoors again, tanning, et cetera. So I was like, Oh, maybe a bathing suit company. And I started designing bathing suits on the side. And I was like, what am I doing? Like, this is the easiest thing to do. And there's like a bajillion bathing suit companies. Like, how am I ever going to stand out? So then I don't know, it was like a couple weeks later, I come in and at the time I was making overnight oats and bringing them into the office. Again, I was uh, running competitively racing in half marathon. So I ate a lot of oatmeal and I pivoted away from like the gross stodgy oatmeal in the cafeteria at Goldman to making my own and bringing it in. And I remember I sat down one day and my my manager at the time, Darren, he was like, what is that? Like, why you eat that every day? Like, what is that? I'm like, it's overnight oats. He's like, what are overnight oats? I'm like, it's cold oatmeal. And he was like, ew, what? And I'm like, you should try it. And he's like, oh, it's actually pretty good. I'm like, yeah, it's amazing. And then I was like, wait a minute. Oatmeal is so ubiquitous and no one knows what overnight oats are. I think they're, they're like the modern version of oatmeal. I've got an idea. How do I commercialize this? How do I scale this? And I remember that day, I got up from my desk around lunchtime and I went straight to Whole Foods. It was across the street. So I got out of the office and I'm like, I got to go to Whole Foods. And I I go looking around the store and like, no one's doing this. Like they don't even have re- like parfaits made at the time. This was like in 2014 or 2015, 2014, 2015. And I'm like, oh my God, there's a white space. No one's doing this. I got to go do it. And from then on, I was like obsessed with this idea. And I think a it was either like a month or two later, I got my bonus. And then a month after that, I quit my job. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah. So you took the leap. And so were the, you know, (laughs) there's a lot of risk in that. And there's, was there a lot of, was there some naysayers kind of along, like you're quitting your job to go sell oats? So it's a great question. The, my dad always, says this. I mean, my dad has so many sayings and they're so wise and insightful. But one of the sayings that he like has mentioned to me is those who matter don't mind and those who mind don't matter. And it it is so applicable to what happened. So when I started telling my friends and family, they were ecstatic. Like every single one of them was like, oh my God, this is amazing. My dad especially was like, you can't make a mistake before you're 30. You got to do it. Let's go for it. Like, well, you know, whatever you need, we'll support you. My boyfriend at the time was like, you have to go for it. And he's, he actually now works with us. We're still together. One of the most incredible human beings ever, but was so supportive, like so encouraging. The one person who wasn't was the partner on the desk who I told, who I had to tell when I was leaving. And this person at the time, you know, really big job, but not probably not paying too much attention to my career there. I'm an analyst. This person's been at Goldman for 20 plus years. And again, really big job, a lot of responsibility. She was just like, what are you doing? Like, why are you doing like what? You're going to quit Goldman and go sell oatmeal. 
it was like, and, and she wasn't like a negative naysayer, but there was a lot of, there was a lot of skepticism mm-hmm. and rightfully so. Like, what is this lady doing? But I, I did it anyway. I clearly I know care. entrepreneurs are in her family. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, right. Actually, no, she's got her, her family is unbelievably wildly successful on Wall Street. It's unbelievable. She comes from incredible pedigree and she's super bright and smart. And I, I respect her so much. But yeah, there was a lot of skepticism when I told her. She was like, uh, okay, good luck. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Not easy. Yeah. And so what were some of the first things that you did to get the business off the ground? I know you had to fundraise probably. Like what were the first steps that you took? Yeah. Yeah. So the first step, and I always like to tell, I always like to emphasize this stuff, but the first step was I quit my job. Like that is the first step. It's letting go of something that you're really paying attention to and spending your time and energy on to shift it to this new endeavor. And it's like not always obvious that that's a really important step. A lot of people try to start companies and they want to do both. Like I want the security of this corporate job, but I want the responsibility and ownership and risk-taking of this other of this other venture. And it often doesn't work out. Like these businesses need all of your time and attention. They're just so resource intensive at the beginning. So my dad, you know, he's like, if you're really serious, you have to quit. And I was like, I'm really serious. Like I'm going to do it. And he was like, the other thing that this will force you to do is, is make it. Because if you have the safety net of this job and this career, like you're not forced to make it, but if you quit, you got to, you got to go for it. So that was the first step. The second step was, and I had no business plan. Like I was not, I wasn't a big planner at the time. And I I was 24. I knew nothing about business. I I knew nothing about building a company. And I, but I knew I had a hunch that I would learn it along the way. Mm -hmm. So I quit. I moved to Southern California where the weather's warm and the people are health conscious. To LA or San Diego or where? To San Diego. Yep. To San Diego. And, and I start making and selling overnight oats out of my kitchen with my co-founder into farmer's markets. And now we're going to take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsors. Customer service and call centers are rarely topics that people get excited about, but Awesome CX is simply different. Their inclusive culture rooted in wellness and fun means that their teams are encouraged to be their best selves personally and professionally by providing them with everything from mental health and healthcare resources to career development. And regardless of the size of your business, Awesome CX is uniquely positioned to support you throughout your growth. They work with some of the fastest growing startups like FabFitFun, Carbon38, Lettuce Grow, Mudwater, and so many more. Want to see it to believe it? Just email me directly at lee, L-E-E, at stairwaytoceo.com to request to join one of their coffee chats where you can meet with their amazing team and witness the agent engagement yourself. You'll be so impressed. I can't wait for you to learn more about Awesome CX to make your brand's customer experience awesome. Thank you so much to our incredible sponsors for supporting the Stairway to CEO podcast. Now let's get back to the show. How'd you find your co-founder? So she also worked at Goldman right out of college. And um, we she worked in the London office. But when you get hired, you go through new hire training and they sit you alphabetically in this big uh, like amphitheater for all this training. And she her last name was Thomas. Mine's Thompson. So we sat right next to one another and we hit it off and we we stayed in touch. And so that's how I met her. And so we moved, we both moved. She had quit already. She had gone to work in a private, at a private healthcare company. And then we, we reconnected and I was like, Hey, I got this idea. She was like, I'm totally on board. Let's go for it. And so we both moved to Southern California. We start making and selling overnight oats out of our kitchen and selling it into farmer's markets. And it was the best and it was like the best and worst experience of my life. Farmer's markets are so hard, like physically, mentally, emotionally draining, but it was the best way to develop a product because you are literally making it every week 
and you can iterate and tweak and refine and come up with new flavors. And then you are selling it directly to consumers and you're talking to them about it and you're getting feedback in real time. So that was a huge part of the product development phase. And, and it also just, again, it was like early training ground for how to run a business. Like, okay, we got to make this product for less than what we're selling it for. What kind of margin do we need to, you know, keep the lights on? And you just learn all those basics in like a low risk environment before you start trying to scale and you want to get those basics right before you scale. And we didn't get all of them right. Like that was one of my learning lessons early on was like we were sort of like trying to force a product into scale without having all the fundamentals right. And it's just painful. Like you should just take the short term pain versus the, the long term pain of figuring out what's going to work, how you're going to get product market fit before scaling it. So that's where we started. And then from there, we expanded. We went from farmers markets to like local coffee shops, cafes, athletic clubs. And once we we were still making it by hand, selling it door to door. And but once we like, I think we accumulated something like 50 accounts in Southern California, we partnered with a distributor who would take the distribution off our hands because we were making it, selling it and distributing it. It was nuts in the early days. Wow. Like we just did it all. And obviously not scalable, not sustainable, but again, taught us a lot. And so partnered with a distributor. And then our first big break was Whole Foods. We somehow weaseled our way into getting a meeting in Whole, at Whole Foods with the local forager in Southern Pacific region. Her name's Monica. She's literally, I love her, owe her a lot. Like she's just such a huge part of the journey, having yeah. given us an opportunity to launch in Whole Foods. But they yeah. were our first retail partner and we launched in 10 stores in Southern California in March of 2017. And that's what really got us going. Wow. And just 10 stores. Then yeah. so, so 10 stores started yeah. with you guys regionally. And then yeah. yeah. Not even and not even a full regional rollout. Right. It was just 10, I think it was 10 of like 60 something stores. And we were like, all right, we got into 10. We're like, how do we get into the rest? They're like, you have to sell something on our shelves before we roll you mm -hmm. out any further. So once we got there, what do you do? All right, it's now on the shelf, but you got to get it off the shelf if you want to expand. So then yeah. we would we were making, selling, and then demoing the product. So if we weren't making the product, we were demoing the product, trying to get the product off the shelf at Whole Foods in the early days. I mean, truly just like one step at a time. So is that the best way when you're kind of new into a retail store? Is that the best you know strategy is to just demo the product as much as you can in the stores? I think it's an incredible... I mean, there are so many different strategies and mm -hmm. execution plays a huge part in a, in a winning strategy. So, but I think especially for our product, it being so new, like mm -hmm. refrigerated oatmeal is a very novel concept. Oatmeal is a very nostalgic, familiar concept. Refrigerated oatmeal is a very novel spin to that. And it's um, merchandise in the yogurt set. People aren't accustomed to finding oatmeal in the yogurt set. They're used to finding yogurt in the yogurt set. So there's a big consumer learning journey that has to take place. And demoing for us is really important in that journey. Just getting it into people's mouths, showing them where it is, like all those sort of like basics aren't necessarily as obvious for our product and our category as they are for other products that launch. So yeah, I, it's a really great strategy. And then again, you get a lot of customer feedback. Like you're just, you're hearing it all. And I would never tell anyone that it was my company because I right. was so embarrassed by that. Like I was, I was just so shy. I would be so embarrassed and I would just want the real feedback. Right. And it was devastating sometimes, but like it, it was good. It was a good, good, good experience for us. That's great. And so I know yeah. you guys were on Shark Tank. Yeah. I think Mark that was invested. later that year. Mm -hmm. Yep. And Mark invested. Yep. Maybe you can tell us a little bit more, I guess, about your experience there. And yeah, I'd love to hear how it's turned out. I think I heard yeah. that there were some packaging challenges because you guys got so many sales from the show. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I, I, 
I'm sure I've spoken about it in some place. That was one of my biggest learning lessons in the early days. There's so many, but that was a huge one. Outgrowing supply basically overnight and what you have to do to get yourself out of it. So we, like I said, we launched in Whole Foods in the Southern Pacific region. And some of those locations were in LA. And that's how we were discovered by Shark Tank because Shark Tank's filmed in LA. I don't think anymore, but it was at the time, Sony Studios. And I think it was the director, some executive producer found our product was like, this is cool. They're really small. This isn't, this could be an awesome contributor to the show. So we get poached and, and we go through the whole interview process and which again was so painful for me. I am like, I was at the time like painfully shy. So being yeah. in Hollywood, talking about the company, having to pitch, do all these rehearsals, like sort of rehearsing in front of the executive producer was really, really tough. But we, my co-founder and I were committed to it for two reasons. One, we knew we needed to raise capital and we didn't, there's so much capital out there and you can raise capital from anyone and everything. But by raising capital on Shark Tank, you get this unique experience attached to it, which is you go on TV in front of 17 million consumers and you talk to them about your product. And we knew from the early days, having pitched it to thousands of people in farmers markets that like people don't know what this is. Like this Mm -hmm. is a very novel concept. So there's a huge, again, education component to it. So let's go on Shark Tank. We'll educate the world about it. And we'll get capital at the same time. Like it's such a win-win. And that's exactly Mm -hmm. what we did. And we had an incredible experience. I mean, it was terrifying for me. I... (laughs) If you like look closely at the clip, I wore these like very flowy pants and my legs like wouldn't stop shaking. So the pant is just like fluttering in the air on TV. It's so funny. I look like the nervous little like dog. I don't know. But anyway, it goes incredibly well. Mark Cuban invests. And we took that money and bought our first automated packaging line. So like a fill and seal line for the product because all of our time was being eaten up by either making it or selling it. And making it was actually really challenging without any automated equipment. So we took his investment. I think we took half of it. He invested $300,000 at the time. We took half of that and bought a piece of equipment to continue making the product and, and scale it. And yeah, that was our first, that was our first crazy fundraising experience. (laughs) And then I'm sure you had to raise a round and, you know, beyond that, how much have you raised so far? And overall, I guess, what has been your kind of take on fundraising and any uh, advice you have? Yeah, we've, we've really tried to limit the amount of fundraising as much as possible. Like I'm, I definitely, I can understand that capital is a form of leverage in this day and age, and it takes money to make money for sure. And at the same time, raising too much capital can really, it can create a wonky environment for building a company. And you can really build the wrong company for the product by having way too much capital at your disposal. Like you can make a ton of mistakes. You can run off in the wrong direction and really double down on it. Whereas when you're constrained with capital, like you feel every little blip and bump in the road and it forces you to correct. But if you can just cover everything up with capital or you can just keep acquiring customers at an ungodly rate or an unsustainable rate, like a lot of D2C businesses do, even these ones that are like, oh, we grew 300% for three years, the last three years, a lot of that is just paid customer acquisition and it's not going to be sustainable. That'll plateau, that'll fall off. So we really have tried to limit it and we've really focused on being profitable. The only capital we've raised has been to invest in manufacturing ahead of our growth so that we can actually seize these opportunities in retail. And for a long time, that was so unpopular. Like owning manufacturing was the most unpopular decision I've made (laughs) over the journey until now. And that's completely changed. Like, especially after COVID, all these big strategics that like to acquire high growth, better for you businesses, really love to see them owning manufacturing because of what all these companies went through during COVID. 
I think it sort of reminded people that like, if you don't own the supply chain, then like you, you really are exposed in a big, big way. You can be super vulnerable to shakeups in market. And so that has in the sort of shorter run was again, very unpopular, but in the long run, I think will certainly pay off. I feel like I've heard that story a few times where it's just like investors hate their money going into the manufacturing and the ownership of that process. And it's always feels like such an uphill battle. But I think at the end of the day, long term, it's a really smart decision. Yeah, I think so too. I mean, it's one of the best decisions. And I think it's one of our strategic, like our competitive, it is a very big competitive advantage at this point, just being able to continue to iterate on the product, continuously improve, own the manufacturing, drive cogs down, create a pricing barrier um, as a result of it. Like there's just a lot of positive effects to it. So we're grateful, but that was one of the most challenging building our last facility was a huge, huge lift. And it's not for the faint of heart. (laughs) That's for sure. Where is this facility? It's in Salt Lake City, Utah. Oh, wow. Yeah, which is a beautiful environment. And you're based in Chicago, Chicago, right? Yeah. Amazing. So looking, I guess, reflecting on your entire journey in building this business, what's some of the toughest moments or moment that you've had to overcome? Like, was there a moment where you really felt like, I don't know if this is going to work? Why am I doing this? You know, is there any kind of moment where you almost gave up? And then obviously you didn't. So what made you stick it through? Yeah, there are so many I can think of. It's not every day. Like if you if you have those moments every day where you're like, why am I doing this? Like I would really want to like dig in there and like pause and like sit and reflect with that because maybe it's just like a total lack of confidence or like, are you really passionate about it? Mm-hmm. I don't have many days like that, mm-hmm. but I have had several of them. And it's usually... The two biggest, I would say, are when my co-founder left the business. That was really, really challenging, super hard. She had some health issues and it was just really hard for her her to continue at the pace and, and, and the you know, meet the demands of the business. And, you know, we started a health food company, like we want people to be well. And we were both like, Hey, you need to, you need to take care of your health go do Mm -hmm. that. And I will, I'll try to, I'll try to keep going. Like I'm going to see this through, but it was really challenging because I think we had all of this like vision and expectation for what this journey was going to be together. And it got completely squashed in, Mm -hmm. you know, at this point in time when she exited the business. And for a while it was just like emotional. I was emotionally distraught. Like, I don't have her. What am I going to do? Like, what's this going to look like now? How's it going to all work out? Like, how are we going to figure this out? How am I going to figure this out? And am I going to be okay going Mm -hmm. at it alone? Like, can I really? And like, sure enough, I just, my dad, I would call my dad a lot and he would just say like, get up, get to work and put one foot in front of the other. And like, Mm -hmm. you're going to, you're going to get through it. It feels really rocky right now, but get up, go to work and put one foot in front of the other. So he was a huge help, like just emotionally for me. And I think that really helped get me through that period of time. The other big moment was like, it was toward the end of building out this new facility. Again, it was a huge lift financially and personnel wise, just a lot of time and energy and a lot riding on our ability to stand up this facility and make product out of it and do it profitably. And for a period of time, we were splitting our manufacturing between two facilities while we were getting this, this, our own facility up and running. And it was just dicey from like, from all angles, like we're so deep into this. This is extraordinarily hard. You know, there's stress, financial pressures, investor pressures, and like we committed to this. And I think like, I really, the biggest learning I had in that journey was like, 
you have to manage your energy and emotion appropriately to get through really hard things. Because if you run out of energy, like that's not good for anyone. And if you're emotionally like up and down all the time, which by the way, drains your energy and puts pressure on that. Mm -hmm. You just like that emotional and mental mindfulness is so, so important in getting through really hard things. And it was just, it was hard, limited resources, big goal, you know, a little underscoped (laughs) at the beginning, but we got through it and the team, the team really just crushed it. Like there was a relentlessness in everyone to, and, and a rally to get through what was a pretty like tough period of time for the business. So when you're going through these tough times, how do you manage your energy and emotions so that you can get through? Yeah. Well, during tough times, one thing I've noticed as I've been reflecting on this journey is that I tend to read and write a lot. Hmm. So reading, I think, takes my mind off of the stress completely, because if I'm reading, I'm not focused on the problem or issue or situation at hand. And it really is an escape for me. And I I often like, for whatever reason, I always feel like when I'm really stressed out and I start reading a book, it'll be a random book that I just like want to read. And there's always something in the book that helps me figure out the problem that we're grappling with, like without without fail. I always experience that. So reading for sure helps. It's like sort of meditative and soothing for me. And then writing, just writing my thoughts down, like writing down, like, this is what I'm worried about. This is what I'm afraid of. This is what's stressing me out. This is Mm -hmm. what I can't make sense of. And I think that that act of writing is also sort of therapeutic. And then just talking with people like mentors in the industry and and bouncing ideas off of them, getting outside perspective, putting it into perspective, putting what we're grappling with into perspective Mm -hmm. is really, really helpful. And then obviously like just taking care of yourself. I am pretty crazy about getting a good amount of sleep, eating well, not drinking, trying to work out. I've like fallen a little off the wagon. I'll be honest with, with everyone. I'm trying to get back on it, but like the eating activity and sleep are super, super important to managing stress. And when any one of those things forget all three, like sometimes when people get stressed, it's like their sleep's bad, their eating's bad. They're not working out. That is horrible. It just exacerbates the problem. But I, um, I really try to make sure those things are dialed in when I'm dealing with a really heavy or hard situation at work so that I have the the energy to do it. It's just so important. Yeah. So real quick about mush, what's your favorite flavor? What's the best seller? Mm -hmm. My favorite's peanut butter. What's yours? So my favorite for, I love the peanut butter. My favorite is probably chocolate. It's an OG flavor. I Mm -hmm. love, love, love. I just love chocolate in general. And I especially love our chocolate mush. I also love the peanut butter chocolate though, too. I'm like a bit of an indulgent person in that way. So I like it. It has that texture of of the chocolate chips in it. Those are probably my two favorite bestsellers, there isn't one standout flavor, all of them, a lot. Yeah. There are a lot of like high performing flavors, but vanilla, blueberry, chocolate, peanut butter, they're really great ones. Yeah. I think they're just like, you know, vanilla and peanut butter, again, like such basic, familiar, accessible Mm -hmm. flavors to Mm -hmm. America. And they're all really good, but I love them. Yeah. I love them all. You guys have such great, great, great flavors. You know, I've been enjoying them. Thanks so much for sending some over. Definitely recommend to anybody out there listening. It's almost like a dessert. I'm like, is it breakfast or dessert? Because it tastes so good. It's it's kind of like a snack. It's a breakfast. It's a dessert. I don't know. It can be in so many different categories. Totally. I mean, I, I eat it all day long. And when I'm like glued to my computer at work, it's usually like mush for breakfast, for lunch, afternoon (laughs) snack. It gets me, it definitely gets me through the day, but we hear that a lot. Like people put a lot of fresh fruit on the chocolate one and have that as Mm. a dessert, like sliced strawberries on chocolate. So good. Yeah, absolutely. So before we wrap up, just two more things. What is next for the brand? What's coming next? And then What's some final advice you have for aspiring entrepreneurs that are tuning in? Yeah. What's next? Well, 
we're going to get mush into every American's hands. I really want to, I want everyone in America to have tried mush at least once. That's a big lofty goal of mine. So definitely continue to push the product, get more people to know about it, try it. We do have some innovation in the pipeline. I can't say what it is today, but it's mushy just the same. (laughs) And it's really, really good. It's a really cool product. I think it's going to resonate really well to both existing and new consumers. So I'll be sure to let you know when that comes out. I think it'll be early next year, about Q2 timeframe. And yeah, just continue to grow, grow the brand, grow the product lines, flavors, et cetera grow the team, make us stronger, more capable. There's so much work to be done. I feel like there's a lot of meat left on the bone. And I'm really excited to tackle that with the team. And then as for advice, gosh, I I do feel like at this point I have I I could I could share a lot. The one thing I will say, and I know a lot of people are talking about it nowadays and like information, mental, physical well-being is like there's so much out there on both topics, but really like the power of mindset is everything. And so for any aspiring entrepreneur, like if you think you can, you can. And if you think you can't, you're probably right. Like so like you are your thoughts. And if you think you can, then you can. And if you think you can't, you're probably right. So be mindful of how you're making sense of what you're doing. And that's just so, so important. And there are moments where you're like, God, I can't keep going. But, and then the next minute, you know, you've had a good conversation or some good news comes in and you're like, no, I can keep going. And you can. So power of mindset, be really mindful of it. Like the little thing I could. I'm reading that to my kid like every night now. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah, he's like two and he it's, loves trains. It's so true. Oh, yeah. that is so I think cute. I can. I think I can. Yeah. <laughs> it literally is that. I think I can. I think I can. Yeah. It truly, I mean, it, it's what makes the difference. Mindset is everything. Mm-hmm. You, How we make sense of the world is so subjective according to what's going on in our minds. And, and if what we believe is possible. Yeah. 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 It's just like, I don't, I don't know how else to say it other than the way so many other people have said it in the mm-hmm. past, but it's everything. So it really is having yeah. that vision. is super important, super and belief in yourself, but thank you so yes. much. I really appreciate you being on the show, Ashley, and sharing your inspiring story with us. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me, Lee. I really appreciate the support. Thank you so much for listening to the Stairway to CEO podcast. Once again, I'm your host, Lee Green. And if you have any burning business questions, please feel free to reach us at www.stairwaytoceo.com. We'd love to hear from you. And if you like what you hear, be sure to subscribe to the show, tell your friends, leave us a review and follow us on Instagram at Stairway to CEO. Until next time, guys, keep on climbing.